everyone, and welcome to another week with the Tulsa World Opinions section. I am Jenny Graham, the editorials editor. Bobby Set, editorial writer and columnist. And for those of you watching the video, you can also download this as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google. I think those are the main ones. So uh, this week, the big news was the governor's big pitch. He was in salesman mode. And the House, he requested and the House approved almost $700 million in tax incentives for, well, is it the worst kept secret what company it is? Yes. It's Panasonic. Just say it. But it's not officially known. So in print, you're not going to see that word. But I guess if you're the lucky, smart few listening, we can say the word Panasonic. But they're building a... Um, a, you know, electronic vehicle factory here. So we, you know, it, it was it was a wild and crazy time there because lawmakers had about 48 hours to learn as much as they can, debate it, and see if it's worth it. So for me, I mean, I, it was the, I'll tell you the first thing that, that, that got me was the House debate was nice in the way that it was not partisan, that yeah. it truly focused on the role of government as it relates to the economy. Like, yeah. do you know, do we believe in these tax incentives? Do you not? How much? I mean, it, there wasn't anything, you know, left or right about it. It was how much do we as a citizenry want to invest our tax money for this? And so th in that way, it was very nice to hear. But, um, but it was, but it was interesting. Um, I sat down with the pros and cons, like I actually had to visualize it. And I came down on on the pro that you know, and I and I when we talked about it as a board, I think the other members came up with that too. For me, the 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 big thing I liked about it was it diversifies the state's revenue. That we're yeah. still an oil and gas state, but that we can certainly <clears throat> make room for areas that are growing, and certainly electric vehicles are growing. I mean, the, the automobile manufacturers, this is where they're going. And so I like that idea. I like that there are some safeguards, like it requires a minimum amount of hires, a minimum amount of capital investment. It's coming out of our reserves, which in theory could go into state services. But if this brings in the kind of money that the House Speaker says, which is he says 26 billion in five years. I mean, I think that this is, it's worth the investment. So those are my big pros. What about for you, Bob? Where did you land on this particular deal? So I'm kind of like you in that this embraces a different part of the economy. You know, if they build this factory, Panasonic, saying the word Panasonic, it's going to build batteries for, for electric vehicles. And that can go across numerous brands. Um, we are seemingly headed headlong into the electric vehicle business with the, you know, with canoe and, and all that going on. So there is a, no one's going to accuse the state administration of being hands, you know, hands off on oil and gas and, you know, keeping a, a, an arm's length from it for sure, because he's very pro oil and gas. But this administration has also pushed really hard for this kind of a thing and for, you know, hydrogen fuel development and that kind of thing. So we're, we're seeing this, you know, this is consistent. Um, the things that I am wary of 
is we are, at least on the legislative side, we are shotgunning this thing through pretty fast. Right. That's, that's a that lot big, of money. That was the big con for me was the secrecy that yeah. apparently the state has been negotiating for months, but left uh-huh. out the legislative leaders and left out yeah. that end of things. And it just, um, it seemed rushed that. And the, the danger of that is um, a few years back, a big thing was made of a, a company, a chip maker called Foxconn in Wisconsin. Uh, they make a lot of the components that you're going to see in your iPhones. Uh, it was going to be this huge, massive plant that they were going to build there. And Wisconsin just basically rolled out multiple Brinks trucks. And down the line, it did not end up being near as big a deal as uh, it was supposed to be. And I'm not sure Wisconsin is really going to feel the benefit that they thought they were. So that's the only thing I fear. We really don't know enough about the deal to say, and it's not landed yet either. I mean, right. I mean these in, are what we're proposing. Yeah, and Kansas is, is trying to get this too. So, mm-hmm. so that's the thing that, that, it gives me pause a little bit on that. Yeah, that 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 was the big thing for me is why wait till the last minute? Like, why wasn't this brought up before it, it surprised mm-hmm. the lawmakers? And I think they felt, you know, sometimes making a decision under pressure is a good thing. But in this case, I just think there was a lot on the line. But, yeah. um, but you know, I support it. I think our board agreed and supported it. And, uh, you know, one of the things that was telling in that debate was, um, were the arguments against it. And one of them, I think, really summed up for me the political climate, which was uh, Wendy Stearman of Collinsville. She said, I don't want Oklahoma to change. It was that fear of change. And 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 part of it was they they didn't want, they didn't believe in the green energy aspect, that there was some sort of, uh, I think, uh, Representative Gann, who represents the area of argued against it, saying that he felt that it was part of Biden's new Green Deal, which he was against, and it's not, but he felt that. He also said that he had problems with some of the management policies of companies, that company, but all companies do. He called it the CRT of business, which Again, off base. Oh boy. Okay. Um, yeah. And then at one point, he was worried about undocumented immigrants taking jobs. And it just, it kind of brought up some of those cultural issues, but that I, I did. He was trying. Think, yeah. But, but I think Wendy Sturman's I don't want Oklahoma to change was, it really sums up a lot. But the reality is, Oklahoma has to change. I mean, it's, yeah. the, I mean, every, everything changes. We're not, nothing is the same as it was years ago. I mean, that's just the way history works. And so if Oklahoma is going to be prosperous, we're going to have to make these kinds of gambles and these kind of deals. So um, we are changing too. That's that's another thing. I mean, it used to be when we took a look at the wind industry, um, I forget which, which uh, was PSO used to be like 10% wind power and now they're up 40%. So something also was interesting about this that fits into the political climate of today. We found one of those rare instances where the governor's office, the Cherokee Nation are on the same side. That, that it, it, I can say the partisanship on this really fell away for the most yeah. part. And, and it was nice to see 
that we can set aside those differences to say, you know, the common good is we need to grow our economy. And this, this is a, a good chance to do that. And in the, the types of jobs, from what, I, from what was said on the debate floor was the average wage of a worker was going to be $60,000. So, Not bad. You know, and, and this is an area that is growing. The, the wages are going up. The jobs are expanding and it can bring in other types of technologies into the area. So it would be great for Oklahoma to sort of reposition itself to be that hub. So, um, you know, it was nice to see. Um, Mm -hmm. But I I will say that when it comes to business dealings, one of the things that was brought up um, looking at the state administration, some of the business decisions, there are there are some questions. And one of the pending ones right now is the Swadley's barbecue contract, Mm. which Admittedly, the Oklahoma City media and some of the nonprofit media have covered um, extensively. And so I've been mm-hmm. following that and we've picked up some of the stories that the work they've done done. But it basically, from what it looks like, and there is now an OSBI investigation, a formal request from the Oklahoma County DA to the auditor's office for forensic audit. But it, it comes down to a contract that was given to Swadley's to open up restaurants called the SOG. Foggy Bottom. Foggy Bottom. Foggy. I don't want to get that wrong. Foggy Bottom restaurants and state parks. And I want to say, I was trying to find the original contract was for somewhere around two to four million, and it's ballooned up to seventeen million. Yeah. And they're not open on Sundays because <clears throat> of religious reasons, and there are some other issues. And a whistleblower came forward with allegations of kickbacks and things like that. So, um, yeah, there's it just. I think you probably go to more state parks than I do. And mm-hmm. I think what gets in, in this deal was made with the department of tourism. Yeah. So there's a lot hanging. Now, governor Stitt has promised to get to the bottom of it, which good for him. And he says, if there's any money owed, he will sue to get it. So it good because we need that kind of oversight, but the parks, I, I, I don't want them to get, they need work. I mean, that, that's, yeah. the, that's the, the, the difficult frustration here is, they need help. So you've been to more state parks than I have recently. I mean, what what's your assessment of what's going on here? Well, the state parks have for years, and we've reported on this, have suffered from a backlog, a maintenance backlog. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> a lot of the infrastructure that you have there was built a long time ago. So you're talking about cabins and lodges and things like that, um, other park facilities that, that need some help. Uh, they need some love. And what this strikes to, for me anyway, is we have to figure out what's the mission of our park system. Um, are we creating, you know, these full service resorts and things like that? Or do we need to start veering toward where that type of recreation goes? So we know that if you got golf courses and things like that, people like to play golf, sure. But a lot of the other parks, um, they are geared toward a lot of other outdoor type of activities. You're talking about hiking and biking and fishing and other things like that. So $17 million on some barbecue restaurants scattered across the state in various parks that when you're talking about a restaurant anyway, the thing that's gonna make a restaurant go is traffic. It needs to have you know butts and seats on a regular basis during mealtimes. Can you guarantee that with parks? 
even if at the, at, at the busier ones, are you going to be able to guarantee that the people who are there are going to, you know, leave their cabin or get out of their RV and gussy themselves up to go do a sit down dinner at a barbecue place that, you know, has limited hours, or are they just bringing a cooler with their own stuff and cooking stuff over a campfire? I mean, this is a discussion we need to have about uh, the state park system. What is its mission? Where does it need to go to meet the needs of the visitors? And does something like this, which we've sunk $17 million into, fit into that mission? Well, so whether I think or not we have there's. To see if that 17 was really a legitimate. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. We need to get to the bottom of that, too. That's yeah. definitely uh, the, that's the here and now present issue with what's going on with this whole Swadley's deal. Right. But I think down the road, we need to ask ourselves, and I, I don't think the answer is close parks, sell off parks, blah, blah, blah. I don't think that at all. I think that would be the exact wrong thing to do. But we need to figure out how we're allocating it. Our right. And I think you're right. Like, how are people using the parks? Yeah. Starters? Because people may not be looking for a resort experience. They just may want a, a basic cabin and and a place to to and can we talk a little bit about the term gussy up that you just used because is there yeah. anything more oklahoma than the term gussy yourself up so so good yeah, job on that one i can't believe those words left my mouth but whatever. well you know we know you're from so yeah, you know the other so. thing uh, uh, that i wrote about it was a, a column that ran today actually i wrote on the exodus of superintendents yeah. and we had the oklahoma state school boards association uh, Executive Director Sean Hyman last week, and we touched on this, but not to a, a great degree. I wrote about this based on a Fort Worth Star, tele, Star Telegram story out last week that was shared by one of our reporters, Lindsay Crable Burton, that North Texas right now, they are undergoing searches for 10 superintendents in that area, including Dallas. And the story was about how the teacher shortage nationally, which has certainly hit Oklahoma, um, how that's now reached up to the upper ranks. And so places like Boston, Minneapolis, all these big places are looking for superintendents along with a lot of suburban areas. And last week, Sean Heim said that they're not seeing that necessarily in Oklahoma at this point. Um, he did notice that, and it's rare, but we have four Tulsa area districts searching for a superintendent. and. I thought it was worth writing about because I hear, you know, you'll hear parents get mad at something in school and go, we need to get rid of our superintendent. Well, there's a, like any industry, if you have a churn of administrators that you can't keep someone for that job filled for very long, it affects your bottom line. And in yeah. schools, that means curriculum. And it looked from what it looks like, it's, if you want some real reforms in your schools, which Tulsa needs, which Oklahoma needs, it takes five to seven years. So if you can't keep a superintendent for five to seven years, you'll never know whether the reforms that were put into place are realized. So I don't know, I just, I wanted to write about that to sort of bring it to people's radar that before you get rid of your superintendent, you might want to really think about it because they are leaving. They're working and they're leaving because they're working 70 plus hours a week. This climate is difficult. Um, retirement ages. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a rough job. So that's the reason I, I wrote it was just what happens nationally tends to come to Oklahoma eventually. So, 
Yeah, yeah. And for and something, if you got a lot of turmoil at the top, that definitely has a down downward experience for the rest of the school district. And we don't need any more complications and keeping positions filled in our schools right now. We need to help. Right. I, I've always said that if, if you're upset with leadership, try to improve the leadership through your school board representatives, through talking advocacy. You just want to like throw it out. You just have to make things better. And that takes, that's the hard work. But yep. um, but the other sort of uh, hard news of, of the week was masks. We don't have to wear them anymore in airports. We don't have, you know, it's whatever. So of course now it seems like after two years, a judge is saying it was an illegal thing seems sort of like, pointless because we've been wearing masks for two years but my mom is and my uncle and their their spouses went on a plane this week they're on a trip and I asked them if they were going to wear masks they don't have to and because they're all older and paranoid they were like absolutely so they are wearing masks but other people are not so how do you feel about a mask right now Bob you wearing one you not wearing one well if I'm getting on a plane right now uh just the way things are uh yeah i probably will because i mean you can like there's a one of my relatives lives in eastern washington so that's a flight from here to phoenix which is you know a good couple of hours or so and then a couple more hours flying up to eastern washington so we went four or five hours in an airplane breathing recirculated air with these flights are usually packed you don't know who's with you and quite honestly right now is it allergies is it a cold is it covid well let me tell you chances are that especially well, right now it's that that gets us COVID. into uh that gets us into your sunday column bob what was it yeah. allergies or covid for you last week yeah so i've got covid um my better experience, late than never right you know yeah you waited, i guess waited two years to get it that's why the last two weeks have sounded really froggy um so yeah um on wednesday you're vaccinated and you're boosted right yeah vaccinated and boosted trying to be careful i've got uh you know a couple people here whose uh risks make them a little bit more vulnerable to something like covid so we've been trying to be careful not being like weird about it or anything like that i know some people have been very strict some people have blown it off but you know <clears throat> trying to be smart you know what i mean trying to be reasonable trying to be smart do the right thing and all that kind of stuff well it didn't matter um and i was asking myself that question uh, the other night or you know about a little over a week ago is this is this just cold is this allergies the tree pollen was way up and and I started feeling like garbage and stuff like that. Well, my wife got decided, you know, we were both suffering what seemed like cold symptoms, but she decided I'm going to go ahead and go to a clinic and get a test. And Sunday, she gets her test results back and she's positive. And I'm like, oh, crap. All right. So I'm running a CVS and I'm getting a test kit and I'm also positive. So I was like, well, crap. There you go. So I've got the bug. So... Sunday column is not about all of that. Sunday column is basically kind of where we're at. And one of the things I wanted to take a deep dive into was what's this next surge going to be like? Because it's coming. Um, <clears throat> we had a, we dropped down as a country to about 
25,000 new cases a day, which is quite a bit lower from the near, you know, 800, 900,000 a day we were getting at the peak of Omicron. But, you know, now we're hitting about 40,000 something again, and it's rising and you're seeing some places having to pull back on, uh, you know, freedoms or relaxed guidelines and stuff like that. They're having to pull all that back and go back to, you know, mandates and stuff like that. And I was very curious about how infectious these new sub-variants of Omicron are, and they are something else. So you'll see more of that in Sunday's column. And luckily I'm on the mend. I am going nuts in my house. (laughs) I haven't been able to exercise or do anything fun with anybody for, you know, we're now looking at almost a week and a half, but I consider myself very fortunate uh, that this hasn't been worse. So far, so good. We're on the mend. The pandemic is not over with us, but the, um, my column to give a little uh, preview is centering on the the, found, the formation of a group called the I'm going to make sure I get this right the Oklahoma Appleseed Center for something uh, law and justice and it's a national network that approached Colleen McCarty who was last working with the Oklahomans for criminal justice reform and it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting group I mean the whole idea is to to create a legal framework to look at social ills. And it was started, that has an interesting history that was started by some Harvard alumni who just wanted to do better with their, you know, social consciousness and use that through law. And it's not necessarily like free law service. It takes a more systemic approach. So so if you look at our criminal justice reforms, it started with the question, why are we incarcerating so many people? That's Oklahoma's problem. So then you do research to find out what the sentences are, what, what's leading to that. And then an advocacy group formed. And then you start having legislation pushes. So it's taking that idea and maybe applying it to other issues that Oklahoma is facing. So it could be yeah. foster care. It could, I mean, we have, we have so many social ills. So, so I spoke with Colleen and she's the, the founder of this chapter and mm. the executive director. And she has an interesting background that she became a lawyer later in life. Um, not, she's not old, but she's still young, but she worked in manufacturing training for a long time. And so a lot of the people that she helped train were coming from, they were justice involved. They, they were coming out of prisons. They were on probation. They had issues. So she, she saw firsthand in the workforce, how all these societal issues paid off. And then when she decided later to get into law, she wanted to approach it from a policy standpoint. And then it gets kind of nerdy, but I like policy stuff. So I think it'll do a lot of good, but you might check it out. Just read a little bit about it. So, um, but as far as this past week, one of the editorials that got people going, I got a few calls on, and I'm going to throw this to you, Bob. We wrote an editorial about gas prices. And I've seen the stickers that say, this is Joe Biden's fault. Uh, and, And everyone from Senator... Lankford to Congressman Mullen, they're blaming Joe Biden for the high gas prices. Our board thought that was a little disingenuous because if the president's, any president could set gas prices, they so would, because, yeah. but they don't. They, <clears throat> some of their policies, I think, have some 
influence, but not, I mean, the vast majority is set by international machinations. So uh, anyway, I, I forwarded to you, Bob, some of the, the comments. Did you want yeah. to, I mean, what did you think of the points that some of the people who disagreed with this were making? Um, it's, it's a good thing. I mean, keeping in mind in an editorial that uh, we have only so many words and paragraphs we can use to explain the very complicated mm -hmm. process of how oil prices and gasoline prices are set. There's a ton of influences that are actually policy driven because, you know, different states and the federal government levy gasoline taxes. So that's obviously a policy decision that affects the price of gas. Um, if the oil and gas industry feels they are in a climate that is not friendly to their industry, they may be more cautious about investing and drilling and things like that. So that is true. However, I would still put this out. After seeing a lull in, in drilling and production during the, the, the depths of COVID, we are back up to production levels that are pre-COVID. Um, that has not helped us in terms of pushing prices back down, at least not that we can feel. Um, we saw, we have seen the number of active drilling rigs uh, all, you know, go up about 60% or so. I think it was like at 400 something a year ago and it's over 600 now. Um, so there's a lot more domestic oil production going on and even with that it doesn't really matter how much we're actually producing here because the prices of oil are set on an international market there is nothing that we can do if a hurricane rips into an oil production center here or somewhere else in the world if OPEC decides they want to jack up prices and tamp down on their production uh, the U.S. president really can't do much about that. We can ask them not to do that. We can ask them to produce more, but whether they do it or not is up to them. You know, wars happen in oil-producing areas, and that these are things that we can't control. So uh, I get their points, and those are well taken, but obviously um, it's not so simple of the stroke of a pen of a president. Yeah, Sorry. I mean, I, I think that just blaming whoever's in the office, whether that was George W. Bush or or President Biden, is just it it simplifies a very complicated issue. And and frankly, if Joe Biden could, I'm sure could reduce gas prices now, he would. So oh yeah, if um, he could take it down to two bucks a gallon, you bet he would. Of course, he'd yeah. probably get clubbed for that. But uh, and in the meantime, we're all moving know. to electric vehicles. So you know, Oklahoma's jumping in on the, on that. So you know, yeah. it's that. So anyway, it's been an interesting week. So mm -hmm. I'm sure next week we'll bring a whole other set of issues. But for those of you out there, write us. Even if you disagree with us, write us. Um, we'd love to absolutely. hear from you. We have letters to the editor that we will absolutely uh, consider running. And um, even op-eds. If you have an op-ed idea and you're an expert in some area or have an interesting perspective, let us know. So anyway, any last parting thoughts, Bob? Um... Make sure you get outside. I keep saying that. This is the time to do it. It's Earth Day this weekend. Go enjoy the Earth. Get some fresh air. 
Don't well, get that would be COVID. nice. I'll be in my garage cleaning it out, getting ready for a garage sale for a fundraiser for a child. Because no matter what I'm doing, when you have two teenagers, there's always a fundraiser to prepare for with that with the child. So absolutely. Um, yeah. Anyway, so take care, be well, and we'll talk to you next week. See ya.